I've been going through a, ser a series called Basic Training, but today's going to be a little different. On January the tw 22nd, 1984, then-President Ronald Reagan issued a, a, a presidential proclamation that on the third Sunday of January, that would be known as National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And so, I guess this is the 37th such occurrence, or I guess if you count from 1984, this might be the 38th occurrence of that. And so, I mean, all around the country, now not, not every church is doing it, I'm sure, but all around the country, thousands and thousands of pastors are going to raise their voices collectively to say every life matters. And I think that's important. You know, it's important sometimes to preach the obvious. Because in our culture, it's not so obvious, is it? And the minute we stop preaching the obvious, then the message of the culture will take over. So, I hope you will bear with me if today I preach the obvious for a little bit. To this point, there have been more than 62 million abortions in this country alone. This country alone. That's a staggering number, isn't it? Every one, a tragedy. But more than a tragedy, you know, it's a tragedy when an earthquake strikes and people die. But that's not a moral evil. Every abortion is not only a tragedy, it's a moral evil, and it's the result of sin. Now today, we affirm the sanctity of human life. We say that human life is what does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be sacred. It means to be set apart. It means, well, we're different than animals. We're different than animals. This past week, I was driving down the road and I saw several dead deer on the side of the road. And of course, I, it's not like my heart rejoiced when I saw it. But it didn't really strike me as anything particularly noteworthy. If I had seen a human being laying on the side of the road, I would have stopped the car, gotten out, called 911. My whole life, I, that's a day I would remember the rest of my life. Why? Because human beings are different. Today we affirm the monstrosity that we euphemistically call abortion. It's murder, that's what it is. Now, let me say this first of all. If, if, you, if one of you ladies has had an abortion, I, I, first of all, I don't know it. Um, and if I did, I would not think any differently of you. I assure you that. I don't mean to attack anyone. You know, you know me, I preach against all sins pretty well equally from this pulpit. Every week, I attack myself. So if, if you are in that category, please don't think that I'm attacking you. But we must accept that in order to affirm what is righteous, we have to attack what is unrighteous. Amen? We have to denounce the works of darkness. So today, we do what the church always does. We do what the church does every week. We shine light into dark places because we love God and the creation that he has made. You know, the purpose of today is not to demean anyone that has had an abortion or to angrily denounce those that say it otherwise. It's because we love God. 
We love the people that he's made. And we affirm that every person uh, is special because, first of all, they are made by God. The, the title of today's message, if you want to look at the back of your bulletin, is Made, Seen, and Known. And I get all of those ideas from Psalm 139. Now, what's a little bit different is I'm going to kind of go backwards. I'm going to look at verses 13 through 16 first. Verses 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Interesting that David would use those words. We know more now medically about childbirth than David could have possibly known. I mean, I don't even know how. We had pictures of Salem done when she was in utero. And they are amazing. I'm sure the technology in that department has only gotten better. Clearer more pristine images. When you look at a little baby in the womb, you can see. I mean, there's parts of them that aren't quite formed yet. The Bible says here, your eyes saw my unformed substance. You know, God made you. God made every human being. Of course, we could, we could expand that and say God made everything, right? But this is sanctity of life, Human Life Sunday. God made every person. God himself takes part in the creation of every baby. You know, oh, I forgot something. But since I use my walk around now, people outside can still hear me as I walk. I want to show you what we're going to be looking at Wednesday. Now, I'm just telling you now. The men's choir practice might not get started right at 7 o'clock. It's not permission for you men to show up at 7.15, okay? But we're going to be looking at this video Wednesday night. It's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. I've watched it before. It's by a fellow named David Minton. And he goes through. I mean, listen, we always say, oh, it's such a little miracle, this baby. And that's more our emotions talking than anything else. I'm here to tell you. It is literally a miracle. There are so many things that have to happen, and if any one of them goes wrong, babies aren't born. Let me tell you something. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're going to look at that Wednesday night. Our God knit us together. You know, it's funny that I would make that announcement about Catherine's ministry on, on, on this day. When you knit something together, you take great care. And that's what God did with you. Intricately woven. Our God is a fearful and a wonderful creator. Uh, this, this video is going to go into so many details about how each child, each child's conception and growth in the womb is a, is a miracle. But until then, I, I want to give you four little miracles that occur with every baby that is conceived. Did you know, I did not know this, 
that every woman that gets pregnant, that by the end of her pregnancy, assuming she carries it to term, the amount of blood in her body will double. Did you know that? Uh, that's one of the reasons your heart, your, your blood pressure goes up. Your heart's doing twice the amount of work every time. Uh, that also, that helps though, because what happens to a lot of women after they have the baby? They bleed a lot. And this saves the lives of many mothers. Why does that happen? Miracle of evolution. No. <laughs> God did that. Every time a woman conceives a baby, a brand new organ, but a temporary organ, is made. What is that organ called? The placenta. It helps the baby live and grow. But it's temporary. After the baby's born, what happens to that organ? Don't you wish you could grow organs that you need temporarily? There are sometimes you wish you had more arms, don't you? Wish you had more legs. <laughs> Doing the dishes. Boy, I'd like to be washing dishes over here and a John over here. Can't do that. But boy, every time a woman has a baby, a brand new organ. And it's not like the woman wills it into existence. It just happens internally. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that your body has something called T-cells? Do you know what T-cells do? They attack. Uh, they, they are the immune system of your body. And they attack foreign bodies. And that helps you stay well, doesn't it? A lot of times when people's T-cells go haywire, that's, it compromises their immune system, and that's why they get sick. But did you know that every time a woman has a baby, not every time, unfortunately, but what happens is the T-cells automatically recognize, now wait a minute, even though there's something there that wasn't there before, we're not going to attack that. Some doctors believe that that's one reason that uh, miscarriages happen is because the mother's T-cells don't recognize that they're not supposed to attack the baby, and they do that. Guys, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every baby is fearfully and wonderfully made, made by God. Because of that, they have a right to live. Now, I don't think I'm saying anything that anybody here would disagree with. But we need to say this from the pulpits of America at least once a year, right? Abortion is a terrible evil because it crushes the life that God himself is forming in the womb. And my fear is if we don't say things like this from pulpits, our young people are going to grow up hearing, believe me, they're hearing a message from the world. They're hearing that message loud and clear. And if they never hear us address it, they're going to assume we're okay with it. And we are not. Every life made by God. But every life is also seen by God. Look at verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Basically, he is saying there is nowhere a human being can go and be out of God's sight. Can you fly away? No. You know, Elon Musk and others are talking about missions to Mars. First of all, I'll believe that when I see it, and I think I'll be long dead before that ever happens. But even if that happens, God is intimately aware of even what
what's going on, those lifeless rocks, millions, billions, even trillions, if, if it is that far, of miles away. God knows about everything in his creation. There's nowhere we can go. What if we die? He says, if I make my bed in Sheol, Sheol is the place of the dead, it's the grave. God knows where you are. He says, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, I, was, I found out this week that over 80% of our Earth's oceans remain unexplored. That strikes me as, well, I guess it's believable when you look at how large the ocean really is. We just about know more about space than we do our own oceans at this point. But David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, If I could go where no one has, to someone Captain Kirk, like, no, where no one has ever gone before, even there, God sees me. Now, this is a reassuring thought. I think for some people, this is a terrifying thought, <laughs> right? It could be terrifying, but only for the unbelieving, the unrepentant. Yes, it's true. God sees you when you are drinking yourself blind. He sees that. He sees you when you're watching stuff on your phone or your TV or your tablet that you shouldn't be watching. He sees you when you're cheating on your schoolwork. He sees you and hears you when you're gossiping about your neighbor. He sees every wicked thing that we do. That's true. Why? Because he sees your heart. And that's really what David's getting at here. He sees your heart. He didn't just make you. He sees you. He is concerned about you. Which is ultimately a reassuring thought, right? Not a terrifying one. God sees when you obey. And no one else is around to see it. <laughs> God sees when you serve. And no one is there to give you credit. God sees when you worship him from your heart, whether you're at church or driving down the street by yourself. When you feel alone, unappreciated, worn to the bones, stressed out, and even unloved, God sees you still. Now because God sees you, he, he made you, yes. But he still sees you. You know, some there are parents... I hate, it's impossible for me to fathom, but there are parents who give birth to their children, and then after some time, they just forget about them. They leave them. Whether they give them up for adoption, or just over time, they become disinterested in the life of their child, and they basically just dissociate from their children. God is not like that. God sees you, where you are, where you sit, even right now, God sees you. Because God sees every human being that he's ever made, every human being has the right to live. But that's one more point, and that is, not only did God make you, not only does he see you, but God knows you. You are made, you are seen. And you are known. Verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. In those verses that come after that, he basically says, There is not a circumstance in my life in which you don't know everything about me. God doesn't just see us 
He's not just amused by us. He knows us. He knows you. He knows what your anxieties are. He knows what your desires are. He knows what your disappointments are. He knows everything about you. He says, you understand my thought afar off. I think that's one way of saying, you understand my thoughts before I think them myself. And I think he does. You know, one of the great needs that humans have is to be not just seen, but known. Um, you, have y'all ever, this is kind of a modern thing, I think in the last five years is the only time I've heard this statement. Have, it, have you heard anybody say, I feel seen? You heard anybody say that? I feel seen. You probably have to be on Twitter or something <laughs> to have heard that. What they're saying is, we're speaking the same language, you and I. You understand me is what they're really saying. And that's something that we all need. That's one of the reasons that I think people get married. It's because they want to spend their lives with somebody that understands them the way they are and accepts them for the way they are. Adam and Eve, if you think about it, were created to be completely vulnerable. I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. I know the kids always laugh about it when we talk about it at the house, but they were made with no clothes. And that was totally fine. Malachi said there and there, he said, I'm sort of glad Adam and Eve sinned. And I said, why? He said, because we wouldn't be wearing clothes if they did. <laughs> I said, well, you got a point there, son. But we also wouldn't care. We wouldn't care. They were naked literally but also figuratively. What was the first thing that they did after they sinned? They found something to cover up with. They didn't want to be seen in their shame. We still have a need to feel seen, to be known by someone else. But in our shame, we often cover up and try to flee not just from one another, but from the presence of God himself. But as we've seen from this passage, we cannot hide from God. Can we? He sees us. No matter where we are. No matter what we do. No matter where you try to hide from God, God sees you. But that's not something to be terrified about. He actually knows you still. And you know what? The amazing thing is, is that he loves you. Now to our point today, God made, sees, and knows every precious little baby in the womb. Now that's reason enough to name this horrible evil that must be proclaimed as evil. That The day may come when preaching this, you know, I don't think this is hyperbole. The day may come when me saying these words would label me as a speaker of hate. I really think we're not very far from that. Could land people like me in prison, if that's the case, so be it. Abortion is evil, and I will say so. I will continue to say it. It is evil because every life is miraculously created by God, is actively seen by God, and is intimately known by God, and when you put all that together, 
Every life is deeply loved by God, including yours. God loves you in spite of everything. And yes, I mean to say that. We all put on our best faces and we, we come and we, I let you see the best part of me. You let me see the best part of you. But I'm sure there's a part of you that I haven't seen and I probably, you don't want me to see, right? I assure you, there's a part of me that you don't want to see. We all have parts of ourselves that are like Adam and Eve. We're still trying to cover up. But I assure you, God sees it. And he loves you anyway. He knows you better than you know yourself. You know, we consider it easy to love little babies, don't we? When they're first born, they're so helpless. So they seem like if you drop them, they break, even though they won't. <laughs> They'll be fine, usually. Um, they're just so adorable. We consider them, what's the word? Uh, what's the word where they don't do anything wrong? Innocent. Innocent. Thank you, Sadie. They are innocent. So they're easy to love. Now, God knows everything about everyone and loves everyone the same. Is that fair to say? Here's a little thought experiment I'd like for you to do. I want you to think of someone that you're not very fond of. They can be somebody that you know personally. Maybe somebody that has wronged you. It could maybe, maybe there's nobody in your life like that. Maybe you are such a lovable, adorable, cuddly person that there, you have no natural enemies. Uh, maybe it's a, a person, a political figure. We all have a political figure we don't like, right? <laughs> maybe it's a movie star that said some things you don't like. I want you to think of somebody that by all intent, for all rights, you have reason not to like. Even they used to be a little baby. <laughs> it's so funny. My kids sometimes ask, say things like, not, not Malachi, say a Mitchie or Thor, but the littler ones, they'll say things like, you used to be a baby? It's hard for them to wrap their minds around the fact that even us, old, ugly people, used to be little babies. Every person used to be innocent. Every person used to be adorable, used to be cuddly, used to be, I'm not going to say without sin, because Psalm 51 says we were conceived in sin, but without any moral evil. You know, God loves every person today, in spite of the evil that they have done against you, against this nation, against the world, God loves them still just like the day they were born. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. Only God deeply loves every person in spite of their flaws. But we can try. How should you respond to this God who not only made you, but sees you and knows you and loves you anyway? Well, the first way that you can respond is in faith. It is entirely possible and even probable, I say this every week, that there is someone here that is not saved. Let me, ask, let me put it this way. Did Jesus die for you? Yes, he did. 
Did Jesus die even for those that will ultimately reject him? Some people say no, but I say yes. I believe that he did. Jesus also died for every little baby, even those who were never born. You know, here's what my theology teaches me. We, some, many people have had miscarriages. It's not something that, you know, they talk about a lot. I imagine a lot of you in here have had miscarriages in the past. You need not be concerned about whether or not that child is in heaven. I believe God immediately takes them to heaven. They have no understanding. They have no way to decipher the difference between right and wrong. They, have, they cannot tell you the difference between morality and immorality. They aren't yet accountable for their sinful choices. But if you are under the sound of my voice and you can understand the words coming out of my mouth, you must exercise faith. And the one who made you, sees you, knows you, and loves you, and died for you, all because he loves you. The second act you can take is to worship. Look at verses 17 and 18, near the end. David says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. I said this last week, but if we would count our blessings, we would be busy all day instead of counting our concerns. Spend time every day meditating on how great God is. The Bible has a word for that. It's called worship. Sometimes we think of worship as just what we do here, singing. But that's not true. We spend time at home. We spend time on the road, in your car, in, the, in Walmart. Thinking about what God has done, how good he is, that's worship too. The last thing you can do is confess. Verses 23 and 24 say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Why is David saying that? Well, because he knows that he still grieves the Holy Spirit from time to time. And so do you. So do I. When we recognize that God not only made us, but sees us and knows us, that puts us in a posture of vulnerability in which we should proclaim before God, help me see what you see. Hey, God knows places, God, God knows places of your heart that you don't even know about. And David is saying, Lord, show them to me so that I can confess them. So that you can shine the light into the dark corners of my heart that I don't even know exist. On this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, my prayer is that you would not only recognize that you were made by God, that you would understand that God sees you, He knows you, and He loves you anyway. And that matters for our stand. In this cultural war against abortion. Shall we pray? Father.